is the Graceful Atheist Podcast, a part of the Atheist United Studios Podcast Network. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Graceful Atheist Podcast. My name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. I want to thank my latest reviewers on the Apple Podcast Store. Thank you to EEC Free and MM05. Appreciate you reviewing the podcast. You too can rate and review the podcast on the Apple Podcast Store. You can rate the podcast on Spotify and subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. If you are in the middle of questioning, doubting, deconstructing, or even deconversion, you don't have to do that alone. Join us in our private Facebook group, Deconversion Anonymous. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash deconversion. Special thanks to Mike T for editing today's show. On to today's show. Today we are celebrating the four-year anniversary of the podcast. Officially March 14th, 2019, we started the podcast. And every year I like to do a bit of a state of the podcast address. Every year we try to innovate in one way or another. This year we began by joining the Atheist United Studios Podcast Network which has given us really good exposure outside of, say, my social media reach. We have continued to do the Deconversion Anonymous Facebook group, which Arlene is the community manager of. Arlene continues to do Tuesday evening hangouts that review the previous week's episode, and that is thriving and doing really well. As of this morning, there are about 722 members in the Deconversion Anonymous Facebook group, which is amazing. We only started that about a year and a half ago, and it's been incredible to watch as people join and participate. We've started to do more social media outreach. Thank you to Ray for creating all the beautiful memes that are quotes from the guests that you see on both Facebook and Instagram. We're hoping to expand to TikTok at some point. All of these things help the podcast grow and reach a broader audience. In about a week and a half, we are going to cross the 250,000 download barrier. As I've said before, downloads are not a particularly good metric, but it's one that is at least consistent. And we have definitely been growing, and we have a consistent audience somewhere in the range of 1,500 to 2,000 people every week. This year, we also started a Patreon. Because of joining the Atheist United Studios podcast network, we have ads for people who want an ad-free experience, they can become a patron at any level. But I want to thank all of those people who have jumped in immediately. I want to thank Joseph, John, Ruby, Sharon, Joel, Lars, Raymond, Rob, Peter, Tracy, Jimmy, Jason, and Nathan. Thank you all for being patrons. It makes a huge difference. With that Patreon money, this year we have started to do transcripts. Now the show notes have a full transcript that is AI-generated. And we hope to continue innovating in one way or another. If you have any interest in participating in the podcast, whether that is the community, the podcast itself, social media, everything from web design to graphic artwork to audio work, anything that you are interested in doing, we would love to have you be a part of this community and participate. Reach out to me at gracefulatheists at gmail.com. My guests today are the people who have participated throughout the years, who have been my support, who have made the podcast possible. 
Arlene, who is our community manager, copy editor, co-host, and outreach coordinator. Mike T, who does the editing. Again, something that I just would not have the time to do in both cases. Jimmy and Colin have been people I've been able to talk through ideas and what's working and what's not working and really help on the mental health support side of things. And Daniel is a new friend who brings the social sciences and psychology background and some actual hard science to the table. And we've been able to talk through several things. Look forward to having a future conversation with Daniel to share with you as well. Today, we are talking about our favorite movies, books, YouTube, podcasts, what have you, anything that inspires us uh, that has to do with either the topic of deconversion or secular grace. Now, of course, most of these things aren't overtly about these things, but under the hood, they very much are, and you're about to find that out. One word of warning, spoiler alert, we spoil a number of movies, books, stories. Each of us takes a moment as we introduce the new topic. If you are interested in going and seeing that or reading that, then you need to stop there because it will be spoiled. In the show notes, there's a list of everything that we're going to talk about. You might want to go take a look at the show notes first before listening to the episode. Otherwise, celebrate with us four years of the podcast. Thank you, the audience, so much for being with us. Here are Arlene, Mike, Jimmy, Colin, and Daniel. I have with me the brain trust of the Graceful Atheist Podcast, uh, Arlene. Jimmy, Mike T, Daniel, and Colin are with me. We are celebrating the four-year anniversary of the podcast. It started in 2019 in March, and we're here to celebrate. And ostensibly, we will be talking about our favorite movies, television programs, podcasts, YouTube's uh, videos that have inspired us uh, for in the topic of secular grace or deconversion. I want to start with just a quick Hello from everyone, and I'm going to start with Arlene. Hi, I am Arlene. I am the community manager for the Facebook group, and I get to work with David and all these wonderful people. And yeah, if you're interested in being in the Facebook group, please DM me. All my information will be in the show notes. And uh, co-host and... <laughs> uh, oh, yes, I do get to interview. And <laughs> guest liaison and <laughs> blog, uh, copyright editor, uh, all the things. Arlene does all the things. Uh, and I'll go with uh, Colin next. Yes, my name is Colin. I was on the podcast uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, thanks to Jimmy, connected me to David. It was an incredible experience to get to share my, my story since I weren't a lot of people in my life who asked me about it. And so I was honored to share and to stay involved and to listen to other people's stories. And something I talked to David a lot about is movies and <laughs> how they are these parallels and ways of getting at our experience. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite excited to be here today and honored to be part of the anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, and Colin is a master storyteller, so that is a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of what he does. I made that I made that title up, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Unverifiable. Yeah. Uh, let's go with Mike T. Hello, everyone. So I'm Mike T, or Mike, and I'm always behind the scenes editing all the episodes, and I get to hear, I guess, firsthand uh, everybody's story, and it's 
it's kind of a privilege to to really uh, dig into these stories and and just be able to um, just enjoy what people have been through and um, and and I just I enjoy it myself. So that's yeah, that's, awesome. that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously the podcast would not happen with without. Mike T. There's just no way the amount of time that you spend in ed- in the editing booth, so to speak, uh, very in- incredibly valuable to to the podcast. Thank you, Mike. Uh, let's go with Daniel. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Daniel. <clears throat> I was on the podcast just this past year in the episode entitled "The Office of the Skeptic." Uh, found the podcast uh, last year. I think I, I think the exact Google search I did was humanist podcasts that aren't angry. And, uh, found this one. Which that is was, the sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, it's just got to thread that thread that needle, and um, yeah, spent uh, I don't know uh, almost about ten years deconstructing, and then uh, deconverted at the beginning of the pandemic uh, officially. I guess, acknowledge the inner reality that had been there for a while. And this podcast was really great uh, throughout that process of leaving the, leaving the anger and the hurt behind. Yes. And then Daniel, you like do a lot of writing and your, your background is, uh, is it psychology or social science? I always get it wrong. Uh, it's, it's psychology. I, I have a bachelor's in social science and a master's in psychology. So it's all the things. There we go. <laughs> yes, so. All of those very specific things. That's right. Very specific kind of yes. science. I can't help you like rewire your house. <laughs> if you want to know why people are messed up, I'm That's your right. guy. Yeah. But Daniel is the, the erudite uh, voice amongst the group, the educated one. So, And last but definitely not least, uh, Jimmy is, uh, uh, Jimmy, just let us know who you are. Uh, yeah, Jimmy. Um, I was on the podcast in 2020, uh, pretty shortly after I had left the church. Um, so you may not have heard the episode unless you have gone back through the entire back catalog, but that's no problem. Um, I have started writing blog posts for the blog and am a, mostly a lurker on the Facebook group, but uh, yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, and Jimmy has been kind of a, a sounding board for me, along with Colin as well, over really a couple of years now. Uh, so a lot of me working through some of the uh, things that we do on the podcast are have been helped along because of Jimmy and Colin. And now Jimmy is writing uh, blog posts and has, comes a lot from the perspective of the Stoics. So again, very... <laughs> uh, a deep uh, reader, I think, Jimmy, you are, and uh, you're bringing a lot of uh, of, of philosophy uh, to those those blog posts. All right, guys. So, what a, what a uh, crew. What a crew. <laughs> yeah, we made it through the introductions. <laughs> uh, so, what we want to talk about today are uh, media of any kind, but uh, specifically movies and television programs that have some element of deconversion or secular grace that have inspired us. And we're going to do what I call a snake draft. So we're going to go through the list. We're going to go through the same list we just did. Um, and I'll be last. And then we will reverse that order if we still have time. And we'll keep going for as much time as we have. So we're going to lead off with Arlene. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> so when you told me about this, 
idea for talking about movies. I was like, that's awesome. This will be so fun. I love all these guys. I don't watch a lot of movies. Oh gosh. <laughs> now I have no idea what I'm yes. going to say. Um, but I was able to come up my favorite that I think movie wise, um, that is secular grace, not deconversion, but secular grace is possibly a lot of superhero movies, but end game. Mm. Um, of yeah. now I'm going to assume people have already seen it. If they haven't, I'm going to at the beginning of the show, the intro, I'm going to say spoiler mm-hmm. alert for everything yeah. that we mentioned, because for sure I'm going to ruin some things. So yes, uh, Marvel movie. I don't know if y'all just heard that. My husband just like threw things. I have no idea what just happened. Um, end game, the Marvel movie, it's the, the Avengers and basically like, Half of humanity, half of the universe has been snapped away by the bad guy. And the Avengers realize, especially Tony Stark, um, they they have to change this. Even if it's going to change and alter their own lives, it's going to take away things from Tony Stark's lives. He's had a little girl. He's gotten married, like all these wonderful things. But they can't, in good conscience, conscience not fix everything if they can figure out how to fix it. And so the whole movie is them figuring out how to fix it and being willing to sacrifice some to the death um, for the universe, for half of Mm -hmm. the population of the universe to be able to bring them back. And they didn't have to do that. And I was like, this is secular grace to me. This is selflessness without being like sappy because I have a hard time with sappy characters who just seem, I say too unrealistic. These are superheroes. So it is unrealistic. (laughs) But yeah, that was the that was the first movie um, that came into my mind was Endgame. That's great. I I say all the time that you know it's it's unclear to me whether the the story of of sacrificing yourself for the people that you love is just Western prior to Christianity or or because of Christianity. But there are a ton of movies where the 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 person the hero gives themselves up uh, for the sacrifice of of others. And this is just deep, especially in Western uh, societies, deep, deep, deep in our culture and inescapable, like it's everywhere. And, and superheroes are a classic example of that. So anyone else uh, want to respond to Endgame? This might be a deep cut. I was going to give snaps to our <laughs> leader, I thought, in this context, that's quite, that's an evil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Snap is a, that's, <laughs> that's right. a bad thing. Yeah, bad taste. Bad choice. <laughs> Poor choice. <laughs> Too soon. Daniel? I think it's a great pick, Arlene. Um, I've always wanted to be, you know, in the theater for uh, a moment like Darth Vader telling Luke he was his father, you know? Yes. And because I remember my father telling me about that moment in the theater and, and, and how people were like jumping out of their seats and like, my God, like everyone mm-hmm. was having this huge reaction. So I got to go opening weekend with some friends to end game. And, uh, and there were just so many moments like, you know, Steve picking up the hammer and <gasps> the, uh, the arrival of everybody through the portals and like all yeah. these, these things. And then Tony's final snap, there were all these things that just were, just like that moment and you had people like jumping up in their seats in the, in the theater and uh, going nuts. And I was just very, very grateful to be a part of that mm. kind of moment. So I'm really glad that somebody brought it up. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, we, we are Marvel people and I am a crier when it comes to movies. Like I will just weep and sob. And um, we, 
we were in the movie theater for Infinity War. And I just, I mean, I just bawled the whole time. It was just, it was so sad. And then um, at the end, this woman just turned turned to me and she was like, it's okay. Black Panther had one movie. It, they're coming back. They're totally coming back. They have to come back. <laughs> and I was like, okay, good point, good point. Um, and so, yes, and being in there in Endgame, because, yes, we were in the theater for opening weekend, and it was just, oh, it just gives me chills. It's such a – and we've seen it multiple times, and I still cry, and it's still fabulous. Oh, I just love it so much. That's awesome. We're pretty bad at watching Marvel movies in my family. Uh, I think we started Endgame before watching whatever movie came before it because we didn't know what order they were in. There's a big pile of movies. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Let's pick one. (laughs) We stopped pretty quickly. Yeah, we've been watching them since Iron Man, the first one, and it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, if you have Disney Plus, you've got to watch them like in chronological order. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Although yeah. to be fair to Jimmy, it's it's sort of like recommending The Wire now because it's like a hundred hours of entertainment. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> There's that element of like I really should, but whew. yeah. And uh, I love that idea that you just jumped in and you're like, okay, so who is who is everyone? <laughs> it's almost like in the middle of a scene, not quite. Yes, yeah. almost yeah. in the middle of a scene. So yeah, we kind yeah. of realized that we had no clue. <laughs> so, yeah. We did it right. Yeah. That was better. All right. I'm going to tap uh, Colin for your first choice. Uh, I mean, basically the same example as Avengers Endgame, Lars and the Real Girl Mm. from 2007. They're really comparable. Exactly. (laughs) Same budget. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if people know this, and I do want to echo David. I I have to spoil it to talk about it. Um, So you can like jump ahead. So if you want. But what I'll say is uh, Ryan Gosling, before he was hot, was weird. did <laughs> really interesting indie movies. I mean, I've been a fan of him way before he got jacked and did Crazy Stupid Love and, mm-hmm. and uh, The Notebook. You Notebook, know, right? but, yeah. Um, Lars and the Real Girl is a story about a, uh, a man and his wife and their the man's brother who's living in the garage, who is very disturbed in some way. He's a hermit. He is, uh, he can't make eye contact. He's, he can't be touched by people. This is Lars. And he, um, one day he buys a real doll, which is a sex doll. It's like a $2,000 anatomically correct size and weight woman and it is the i mean everybody is just like what what do we say like he he treats her like a real person he brings her on dates um he asks his sister-in-law for clothes for her because she lost her luggage on the trip i mean he it's a complete you know break from reality so they take him to a psychologist who says he is working something out and he's in a very fragile place and you need to go along with him until he reaches the end of whatever this is. And they're like, people are going to make fun of us. And she says, yes, they are. (laughs) And it's the first instance of people uh, acting on Lars' behalf, even to their own cost. And what ends up happening is first off, he creates a lot of confidence by doing these 
by simulating life. He takes her to a party. He, they go on dates. They go bowl. I mean, they go bowling. I mean, it's really strange, <laughs> but it's very, it's very funny in that I think it's played mostly straight. He starts making eye contact. He starts to talk to a woman at work who he has a crush on. A, a real, a real girl, human, not capital, <laughs> real capital girl, a, a woman, and <laughs> and. What I would say is secular grace to a T is that essentially this whole town of people go along with him and they take Bianca out and Bianca is the name of the doll. She starts volunteering and they cut her hair and they and they support him as he eventually reaches a uh, a complete tragedy of she's she's died. And it's him emerging from this episode and along the way discovering that all the people in this town love him mm. and will do whatever he needs. And I, I talk about chills, Arlene. I get chills thinking about it. And it's, um, you know, there's no mention of, there's a little bit of a mention of religion, but it's it's a pretty clear example of someone in our community needs us. Yeah. And I highly, even though I sort of spoil it. It's really fun, really fun to watch. And, um, to, you know, to watch people kind of at first, especially like, what are we do? What are we, why are we, he's <laughs> yeah. not, you know, yeah. and, uh, but, but playing along and it's, it's a great one. I love this movie and Colin, thank you for being brave enough to bring it up. <laughs> it really is. Uh, it, it, you know, the premise sounds so odd and strange and yet you absolutely love Lars. You absolutely love Bianca and you love the community by the end of the movie. Yeah. And it is about the community loving someone and caring for them where they are at, right? Not asking this Lars character to, to, you know, do the, you know, be normal, right? They're not asking him to do that. They're they're letting him go through what he's going through, uh, and ultimately leads to healing in his life. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's really it's really something to watch. Seems like one of I mean we we talk about community a whole lot, and it seems like one of the things that people often fail to recognize about community is that everybody is different. Yeah, you know, to sort of mm -hmm. adapt. Tolstoy, everybody's dysfunctional in their own special mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just to summarize him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's the intro to Anna Karenina. So pretty, pretty short. But, One of um, the famous first lines. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but, you know, it's one of those reality checks that once you kind of come to terms with it, it's fine. It's, it's good. You accept it. You move on you everybody sort of starts adapting to the reality of the situation and like like the community adapted to to Lars his sort of oddball uh situation mm. that's it is beautiful yeah that's awesome and I'm sure yeah. I, yeah I haven't seen the movie I wrote it down so that I'll so we can see it but I'm sure the community like he brought his own uniqueness to the community and that added value to their lives that they yep. probably wouldn't have expected. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. He's a wonderful person. I mean, there's a, mm -hmm. a really funny moment at a party when the women have sort of sat with him and this, um, with Bianca and he's sort of whispering to her. I mean, they're clearly in love and he, it, at some point he gets up and they go like, I'd love to find a man like that. 
you know? And so even though we've departed reality, there's, you start to see Lars good qualities. Um, and I think it's heroic. I think it's heroic in a, a less flashy way. I, I have a, a friend who struggles with mental health stuff and is up and is down. And we've been friends for years and I am deeply invested in the outcome of him reaching the, the person he wants to be. And he is in me. And so I'm like, that's, that's also the model. If you're not Tony Stark, you can still <laughs> do heroic things. Awesome. Mike T you're up, man. Oh boy. <laughs> so, so far I haven't seen either of these uh, movies that we talked about, but now I know I have to go back and watch them. <laughs> so I think the first thing that kind of came to my mind, it wasn't a movie, it was a series and it was um, Vikings. Mm. And I think it's on Netflix. You can see it all. And it it's, it's, it's violent, but it's, there's good storylines with the characters and I guess just the overview is the main character, Ragnar Lothbrook. He he finds a way that he can travel to the east. You know, they're known for their looting and plundering, so they want to go to new lands. So he finds this, um, I think it's basically uh, a way to map the, you know, the by the stars and everything and how to make sure they're traveling east to these new lands they hear about. So they, they get to, uh, you know, England area and, and they come across, uh, I think the first place they come across is, um, where a bunch of monks are staying and they end up kidnapping one of the monks and they're Christians. So you have the Christian gods and then you have all the Norse gods, you know, Odin and everything. So they kidnap this one monk, take him back, and he ends up kind of assimilating into their community. And him and Ragnar become almost like best friends, uh, mutual respect for each other. And it's it's really interesting how they how they interact. And by the I guess not to make it spoiler, but I guess it's hard not to say stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's deep into the series, they almost come to a place where, you know, we talk about these gods and things, and there's really no evidence for your gods or my gods. We're just in this thing mm, of yeah. life trying to survive. And what's the use of all this fighting over your gods being, you know, um, submissive to my gods? And, and, they, and they kind of take in how their people are reacting to all this. And in course, there's lots of tragedies and things throughout the, the story. And eventually Ragnar, he meets his death and he has a son that takes over kind of where he's from and he does terrible things. And, but it all comes back together in the end that what he learned from his dad and stuff is, is, is true that, you know, this is just about life and about, learning to respect other people for who they are and that we don't have to stick, stick to these traditions that we've been told our whole lives. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of what came to my mind. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like, uh, 
you know, having comparative religion in say school or something like that, it would be a really, really good thing because once you start to see the similarities and the differences, uh, mm -hmm. it's harder to say, ah, but my group has the, the absolute truth <laughs> uh, when you yeah. just start to share notes. Exactly. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think, uh, that's a really great show, Mike. And <clears throat> I think the history that comes out of that whole um, time period with the, the Vikings and, um, and Ragnar, like his, his family settled a, a Northern part of France, which became known as Normandy later. Right. Yeah. And Normandy became like the cultural center of Europe for a time, it, like being very, uh, very highbrow and fancy and uh, then eventually the Norman invasion of England kind of brought all that culture mm -hmm. to the, to the United Kingdom. And it's so interesting to think how it all came from like essentially one guy who was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to raid better than <laughs> other people raided before. I'm, I'm going to be better at, at uh, attacking people. And, uh, and, and now we have like all the stuff that came out of Normandy. It's a, it's such a fascinating part of history. It is. Yes. All right, Daniel. Well, I, I'm kind of surprised <clears throat> nobody said it yet, but uh, Star Trek, the next generation, especially, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Star Trek for me has been a really big part of my life and the deconstruction, deconversion is no different. Um, growing up, the next generation was very important to me. I had, um, you know, I, I, I had a, I had a good childhood um, but there were some parts that were really, uh, really hard and painful. One of them was, you know, I, I had ADHD and was not diagnosed. And so I, I struggled with a lot of the things that came from that, like rejection, sensitivity, uh, dysphoria, and so on. Uh, and also th there was a, a time where I was bullied quite badly for many years. And I know when you say you were bullied as a kid, people think like, okay, you got beat up behind the bleachers. They took your lunch money kind of thing. Um, at its worst, uh, I got put in the hospital with a broken arm mm, and wow. things were quite, um, quite uncomfortable. And I was always very thankful for my father who, you know, he, he took it seriously and, and he, you know, threatened legal action and the school division finally took it seriously too. It was a different time. Nobody, you know, nobody really paid that close attention. Boys will be boys kind of BS, but there was a lot of Star Trek in my life. My parents loved watching it and I loved watching it. And the incredible thing for me was that I believed the things that they told me about the world mm. over my own experience. Oh, wow. You know, I could have thought like, this is like the, the world is awful, you know, like, yeah, I've got a good family and all this stuff, but the world is, the world is awful. Like I, I'm being treated badly. And, and I, I, I know people who internalize that and um, sure there were some, you know, some things I carried with me for a while. But when when you had moments in The Next Generation where Captain Picard says, uh, he, he quotes Hamlet and he says, you know, what Hamlet says with irony, or I say with conviction, what a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, hmm. in form and moving, how express and admirable in action, how like an angel in apprehension, how like a god. And he says that I can mm -hmm. see us one day becoming like this as a species. And I believe that. Wow. Over my own experience that set me on a, on a path was one of many different things that made me want to be a, a people helper when I got older. And after my long deconstruction, you know, leaving ministry in 2010 and 
and then arriving at the start of the pandemic and realizing I don't like I'm not a I'm not a believe I haven't believed in God in years. Like what am I doing? And getting sent to work from home uh, at my my job, I sat on my couch with my laptop and you know I was mostly doing writing and uh, editing documents and putting together PowerPoint presentations for people. And I put my television on. And what do you know it? The Next Generation is available on, a, uh, on Netflix in Canada. And I rewatched the entire series hmm. uh, wow. while I was working because yeah. I, could, I could do that. I was, except for the odd Zoom call, I was essentially by myself. And I was amazed how consistently the message of secular humanism, of yeah. hope, of helping people, of what humanity could be mm-hmm. was just woven throughout. Uh, and so then I started, you know, I started Deep Space Nine again, and I started Voyager again. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I watched through all of this stuff that was so integral to me growing up and, and rediscovering it, you know, at, at almost 40 and, and realizing this is containing messages that, um, that really cast a great, hope for humanity and there's a quote from gene roddenberry about the first star trek series where he said that star trek was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate but take a special delight in differences in ideas Mm. and differences in life forms and i just it it helped bring me back and i i was for a large part of the pandemic and, and my early deconversion i was very angry and i was very bitter mm. and it really sunk into my my soul and and among the many things that helped bring me out of it like this podcast and like my my wife and her patience and love and my my family um star trek was another piece of that puzzle and uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for it that's so awesome <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah I've, I've been thinking a lot about optimism lately um and how someone said that being a pessimist is like smoking a pack of cigarettes every day. It'll take 10 years off your life. Mm. And uh, you look at, you look at the world around you. And if you pay too much attention to the way it's presented to us, then um, you end up in the land of pessimism. So optimistic sci-fi is, is definitely special mm, giving yeah. a sort of a, a vision, you know, casting a vision forward for this is what we could be. And this is what we are at our best because sci-fi is never about the future. It's about right now, uh, typically. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that's great, Daniel. Yeah. Even the framing Daniel of, of the quote, the difference between the irony and, and sincerity we're Gen X and, you know, uh, and we've taken, you know, <laughs> irony to the, ne- to the next level. And then the generations following us have, have just exploded that so that it's almost uncool to be sincere. And Star Trek is just mm. heartbreakingly sincere. <laughs> uh, and I love that. Uh, first of all, I, uh, you know, kind of my t- early twenties was next generation and it was huge for me. Um, and I realize now how much of my humanism is informed by uh, my, the next generation, actually. And then just last thing is a plug. Um, I'm right now working out to discuss with uh, the podcast host of Humanist Trek, 
uh, Sarah Ray and Allie, let me get her name right, uh, Allie Ashmead uh, are the hosts. And they are going through the, right now, through the original series and pulling out all the humanism that Gene Rod- Roddenberry had within it. And I'm really looking forward to, to that conversation with them. So. Ooh, that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I grew up on TNG and then I grew up on the movies because my mom grew up on the original series and she would do like Trekaramas with her grandma. Like they would watch all night long the original series. <laughs> Come on. And so I grew up on TNG and the movies. And I think it was Lars that's in the group, not Lars on the movie, Lars <laughs> in the conversion group, um, one day mentioned how his humanism, his worldview, had been very much influenced by Next Generation. And I was like, oh, I haven't thought about it. So, Daniel, this makes me want to go back and, yeah, watch, because I haven't seen these movie, or these shows and movies since I was, uh, well, when we first got married, we went back through Next Generation and watched them. But since I've deconverted, I haven't even gone back and watched any of them. So this makes me want to do it. Yeah. Me too. One last bit of irony is that I was watching TNG uh, while going to Bible college. So, <laughs> that was, uh, so scandalous. Yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah, but also like you know, th- my whole thing was about grace and 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 the you know that the Christians around me didn't get it. <laughs> so anyway, we'll drop that. Uh, Jimmy, you are up, sir. <clears throat> so speaking of uh, sci-fi, optimistic sci-fi, um, Arrival. Is yes. one of my favorite movies Ooh, yes. of all time. Yes, um, it's it's based on a short story called "The Story of Your Life," and the short story is very different in style. It's sort of a very short story, short story, if, if that makes any sense. Um, but the movie, it, there's a lot of themes that really stand out to me for the movie, but one of them is that of acceptance, um, and of course, obligatory spo- spoiler alert the linchpin of the movie is that she can see past, present and future um, because she's learning this special alien language. Um, I'm going to pull out a couple quotes. If you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? If you were omniscient about your life Uh, or then, and then that's sort of near the middle of the movie. And then at the end, uh, Despite knowing the journey and where it leads, I embrace it and I welcome every moment of it. And if you've watched the movie, you know that there's some hard stuff that's going on. It's, you know, second watching, it's pretty clear what's being foreshadowed. It's pretty muddy the first time through, um, I think, intentionally. Um, But, you know, whether we like it or not, the life we have is the life we have. Uh, It's the one that we are currently living. And the you know acceptance is such a major part of living it well um i'm kind of obsessed with not dwelling on the past (laughs) (laughs) um and this is it's just such a powerful like you know regret i find problematic uh guilt i find problematic um number all these dynamics to sort of have us looking back at the past and beating ourselves our present selves up about it um i almost hate it i'm not willing to dismiss all of it i'm not willing to throw it all away but but uh i just keep finding reasons to try to avoid regret altogether just you know just let it go and and look forward um and on a related note uh alan watts did a 
he had a little spiel. I don't, you know, you, you hear recordings of Alan Watts every so often, like in video games and stuff. It's the weirdest thing. He's really recordable, I guess. Um, but he, he asked us to imagine dreaming a dream where we could live a 75 year life over and over again. And the first time through, you're like, it's the perfect life, totally comfortable. Uh, you love it. It's just total, all pleasure, no pain. And then at the end, you're like, eh, let's change things up. Let's do it again. This time we'll throw a little uncertainty in there just to make things interesting. And then you sort of iterate on that over and over again. And eventually you land on your life right now, um, which I thought was a pretty powerful framing mm, yeah. of uh, just how uncertain life can be and just how rough it can be and how it's the life we have it can be, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, so yeah, Arrival, wonderful movie. And now completely spoiled. <laughs> well, I'm going to spoil it further. That was on my list. Um, oh. the, <laughs> okay. uh, the, one of the main ideas you've just, you've just suggested is, you know, would, would you live the life knowing ahead of time? And one of the main storylines is a very rough relationship with the main character and her daughter. Um, that's very difficult. And, uh, and then ultimately tragic, uh, the daughter dies at the yeah. age of 25. Uh, yeah. and so, uh, she is still making the choices that lead to that, her daughter existing and, and loving her and yeah. experiencing all of that pain and tragedy. Uh, and I just think that's just utterly beautiful that, that, you know, that the humanism there of, uh, you know, love does involve pain. Love is difficult relationships are hard and yet they are still worth it. Even if you know, it's going to end, even if you know, uh, yeah. tragedy is looming, it's still worth it. And I, I think that's yeah. just a beautiful part of that, that story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the rare movies that I could watch. I don't know, twice a year. Yeah. Very, mm -hmm. very, very few movies yeah. like that, that I even watch twice at all. Hmm. Not spoiled, Jimmy. Everyone should watch it. Yes, That's I agree. <laughs> incredibly constructed and filmed, and yeah, the the vo yeah. the language, the way they represent the language is yeah, it's that's wonderful. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I, I'm partial to linguistics myself to begin with, so the whole, whole mm. idea of Zeno linguistics is a different topic. <laughs> uh, and I'll say a plug for Ted Chang's short story is amazing, and the book. Uh, stories plural of your life is uh, uh, an anthology of his short stories. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, I talk, I've actually got a blog post about one called hell is the absence of God. Very relevant, really very, very relevant. So, yeah. And his uh, second volume exhalation stories is also, he deals a lot with uh, religious themes, spiritual themes uh, to being, being two different sets of themes. Um, very definitely worth reading. Fantastic. I'm going to reorder mine because everyone did Secular Grace. So I've got, I've got a uh, deconversion one to talk about next round. But the, the one I want to talk about is semi-related to, and I was actually going to almost pair them with Arrival. So this was perfect, Jimmy. Thank you for planning it this way. <laughs> is Interstellar. Um, Interstellar is a Christopher Nolan uh, movie who I am just like, he's like crack cocaine for me. I also love Tenet and, and uh, <laughs> Inception and basically everything he's ever done. But... Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the premise of Interstellar is the uh, uh, relativity and the way that time works. And so the, 
the main character, the father, is an astronaut. He goes out into deep space uh, towards a black hole. Uh, time and relativity, t- time and relativity take place, and so his daughter is aging uh, back at home. Mm. Uh, but the the heart of the story is that he is like almost communicating with her uh, throughout this, and they keep touching base uh, over time. Uh, and I the the analogy that I love in this is that that love is fifth dimensional, right? Ultimately, he gets to directly communicate with her in real time. Uh, and again, spoilers. <laughs> uh, and then at the very end of the film, he meets her in her old age. He is still young and he meets her in her old age. And it's just this incredibly touching and loving uh, moment. But for me, the analogy of love as fifth dimensional also springs to mind why religious thought takes place, right? Like I, if I kept, I repeat to myself all the time, love is fifth dimensional and it has this deep and profound meaning for me, but of course I don't mean it literally. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I can see how easy it would be for, if I were passing that, inf- that, that story along to someone else to begin to take it literally, you know, and like, let's say three generations later to begin to take that literally. Um, so you can see that impulse to do that. And yet, I still think that this is an amazing analogy and that, uh, and that love transcends space and time <laughs> uh, metaphorically and, uh, and connects us as human beings. The love of your past parents to your past self has meaningful impact in the future and being able to rely on, just, just, just as a specific example, being able to rely on the love of someone else moving into the future. Yeah, I like it. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And that theme too, that theme, that musical score, right? That oh, signature yeah. to yes. Stellar. Yeah. I was in an airport in Charlotte uh, last week and somebody, the piano player was playing it. Mm. You go, ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> give give the chills. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So my, my son and I were watching the, the movie on our, our previous TV, which was a hand-me-down of a hand-me-down or something like that. And all Christopher Nolan movies just basically cl- start clipping on the speakers. So it was very hard to hear. Yeah. But anyway, we were watching this movie and uh, it's the scene where he's leaving his family, mm-hmm. um, which is as a father of daughters mm-hmm. uh, is pretty rough on yeah. me. And so yeah. I was sitting there watching this. Then my, my wife and two daughters come back in the room Oh, they come back from some uh, event or something, and my my daughter sits down next to us and starts watching with us. And then she left and said, "I hate this movie." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're doing a snake draft, so it's back to Jimmy. Uh, so your number two choice. All right, so uh, authenticity. Uh, my movie for authenticity is. Uh, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, um, which was a surprising, you know, it's, I tend to go very, wait, I, I weight uh, Rotten Tomatoes fairly heavily in my, dis, you know, whether I decide to watch a movie or not. And it was pretty high. And sometimes that just means it is what it is and doesn't pretend to be anything but more. And sometimes it means this is an amazing film. Well, this, this was a good story. It was just a really good story. Um and it's hilarious because she's an English woman. She goes to 
France and she meets some people who are heavily into existentialist philosophy, like just rattling off to each other, all this, these technical terms and stuff. And it occurred to me while watching this, she is like the ultimate existentialist. Um, when Mrs. Harris, she is a widow. She is middle-aged. She's working class. She decides one day she's going to buy a, a, a couture, handmade couture gown from whatever the fa- the fancy brand was. I don't, that doesn't stick. It was a, um, it's a well-known brand. Anyway, you've all heard of it. <laughs> uh, High fashion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but she's just this regular lady and she just decides she's going to save up the money to go to Paris and order this gown, which makes sense. You go to a store and you buy some stuff. Um, well, she arrives, uh, uh, yes, Christian Dior. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so she arrives in Paris and immediately she's just contact with people, contact with people, all kinds of different people. Um, she's showing kindness to everybody. Um, she's just bringing people together, uh, just making human connection, sort of overcoming all these boundaries. So, um, the, the people, the staff at Christian Dior don't know what to make of her, but they're kind of like, this is kind of cool. They're, they're sort of like, we have no idea what to do with this lady, but we like it. Um, and then she brings, you know, she brings the two existentialists together and blah, blah, blah. And the ex, you know, whatever, not, not to spoil absolutely every detail of the movie, but it was, it's hilarious because one of, one of the dynamics of existential philosophy, existentialist philosophy is, um, that of, uh, facticity. So we're born with, uh, different characteristics, you know, you're a man, you're a woman, male, female, whatever you're, uh, white, you're black, you're, uh, American, you're French, you're upper-class, middle-class, you're a a nerd, you're a, a jock, whatever, all these things. And to live an authentic life is to sort of transcend that, that it involves transcending that. And in, she just was in the process of doing that just by living her life. She transcended the fact that she was middle class or working class by deciding to buy an upper class gown, mm. even though she really didn't have anywhere to wear it. Um, she transcended like all these different th- all expectations of her. Um, one major theme throughout was just her age and how um, you sort of become invisible when you're the older you get. Um, and so, uh, but she didn't, she didn't stand for it. She, she took various actions to sort of overcome that. So, uh, I, I, it was, it was funny to me when it occurred to me, but it was also kind of delightful just because here's this middle-aged English lady and she's like way more actually existentialist than these two <laughs> French people talking about yeah. Sartre and, <laughs> yes. and all these, whatever at each other. Awesome. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. It was yeah. a good movie. I like the message too of just, you know, being comfortable with yourself, being comfortable yeah. with who you are and not, and not feeling out of place where maybe other people think you're out of place. Yes. It's like you're just comfortable with yourself and you accept yourself and you're able to yeah, move about yeah. the world. And and the point is, yeah, and I I kind of went overboard on the existential side of things, but the point is that she was living an authentic life. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly what you're saying, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I especially admire um, women who can do that. Cause that, that is, it does not mm-hmm. come naturally to me. 
-hmm. and for years being like, I grew up in a home where boys were more favored than girls and then become a Christian. And they're like, that's true. And it's like, okay, so you just keep going and believing it. And then coming out of all that, it's like, oh, I can, you know, be my whole self. I can, my husband uses the phrase, exert my presence. Mm. Like, especially for me, it's hardest at the gym. Nobody's ever said anything unkind or been rude, but I see these women who can just go in there and they just do it. And I'm like, I have to talk myself into it all the time to like just exist mm. and not be apologize all the mm. time. So yeah, I want to see that, that, that movie sounds really good. And, uh, if just to put a book plug in, uh, <laughs> how to be authentic is, uh, is a good introduction, especially to sort of feminist existentialism. Cause, uh, it's, it's a very accessible introduction. Awesome. Yes. Books are my happy place. <laughs> Well, I just want to say, Arlene, thank you for sharing that. That's absolutely. That's that's kind of the 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 heroic thing I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Is is overcoming a a story, and in your case, not an internal story, a a cultural programming that mm-hmm. you know, just like that's really really interesting to hear. And it seems like there was a progression over time. And I, I re- I resonate with the mantra idea too. Like I need to notice the thought and then provide a new thought that. Yes. Re-wallpaper you know. my mind. Someone used <laughs> oh, to yeah. one time and I was like, Oh, I like that. Take the, yeah, I like it. That's great. Daniel, you are up for your second choice. Well, I think this one might be a little, uh, esoteric, um, just because it's uh, it's not a it's not in Western media at all. Um, there's a, a short Japanese animated film named Hotorubi no More e, which translates to uh, "In the Forest of Firefly Light." Mm-hmm. And wow. I know one thing that was really hard for me when I was uh, deconverting, when I was looking at what I was losing, was losing the idea that hey, like what about the afterlife? Like we all want to you know, we all want to go on forever, uh, I think is the kind of natural biological inclination. And we all, we have a survival drive. It does not like to be thwarted. Um, and I think even when I was talking through, um, like becoming agnostic and becoming a humanist with somebody, uh, they said, but don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And I was like, well, but yeah. like, I don't think there is a heaven. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like I, I yeah. like, do you want to go to Disneyland someday? and set up for it like i don't think it i don't think it's real and i was really distressed by it and i think that one of the messages that we get especially in evangelical christianity is that um your life is precious because it's just going to go on forever and ever and it's going to be this never-ending thing and it's going to be amazing forever you know and and that was a really hard thing to let go of and early in the after i had deconverted i watched this short film which is about a a girl who when she's i think she's six years old she goes into this this forest and in japanese mythology there's uh these spirits called yokai that live in deep in the woods and the mountains and things like that and they're you know they're sometimes tricky and they're sometimes mean and they're sometimes pleasant you don't really know what you're going to get and when she's there she meets a young man and the young man is a human but he um he was uh, abandoned there as a child and was going to die and the yokai saved his life but 
on a condition he could grow up and he would grow up very, very slowly. He would live many, many lifetimes of a human being, but he would never be allowed to touch another human being. If he touches them, he disappears forever. Hmm. And so it's a little bit funny and sweet at the beginning as this six-year-old is just like, I want to, I want to play with you. I want to spend time with you. And he's like, don't touch me. Like this is stay away kind of thing. And they slowly become friends and she returns to the woods every summer because she's visiting the woods while she's staying with her grandparents. And, and it's about her slowly growing up and them slowly becoming closer. And as she reaches his, you know, age and their equal age, they realize that they're falling in love and, uh, and he can never touch her and she can never touch him because if he, if he doesn't, then he's gone forever. And it's, it's about navigating this, um, kind of really bittersweet beauty of this relationship, knowing that, you know, you, you actually can't have something forever, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make it any less beautiful or any less meaningful or any less special. And I actually am not going to, um, I'm not going to say the ending because I, I do think this is something that you all should watch and that everybody listening to this should watch. Um, and, and going through that little journey, it's, it's a 42 minute film. So it's not like a big ask. That's what I'm saying, but it is a, it is a, a, a theme of, you know, being authentic and being true and being loving and understanding that something is not beautiful because it lasts. Something is not okay. precious because it lasts. It can be beautiful and precious just as it is. And nothing can ever take away that time mm. that you had. And I think that uh, watching that was in a weird way, kind of healing for me. Uh, as I realized that I didn't need to, you know, I, I didn't need to experience like the quote unquote loss of heaven as a, as a loss anymore, because the, the time that we have here, the time that I have with my children, with my wife, with my parents, with my friends, with people like yourself, this is, uh, this is always going to have happened. It's always going to have been a, a part of the, the universe, no matter how, long at last. And I think that this, this story reminded me again of how, um, of what makes us human Mm, humans elevate things. That's what makes us special. We, we take normal things and we lift them up. We elevate things in ourselves and in the world above where they actually occur in nature. Like we look at chemical reactions in our brains and we call it love. We look at the colors of a sunset and we name it beauty. We look at life and decide that it's so wonderful. We told a story about it lasting forever. And even though it won't last forever, no matter how long the universe is here, the time that we had, we had, we will always have been here. Yeah. And that's what that movie did for me in a weird way. This animated film. That's beautiful. And I think we're constantly fighting the, uh, you know, the Christian conception that it, it isn't worth it unless it's eternal. And, and it mm-hmm. actually turns out that it kind of is the opposite, right? Like that, that because yeah. life in general or love or what have you ha- is finite and has an ending, uh, it makes it so the, much the sweeter while, while we have it, while we are here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Call if it. I could, if, if I could make a quick, Oh, it's my turn. Yeah, it's your turn. Quick interjection. Um, 
to Daniel's beautiful description of that, the forest of the fireflies, uh, two themes you mentioned, the not being able to touch the person you love. There's a mm-hmm. show called Pushing Daisies that mm-hmm. has a similar dynamic. And it's so interesting. And it's a really cool, totally different reason. But it's really, really cool to watch these two characters in love who can never touch each other. And then there's also a movie from last year, a couple of years ago called Wolf Walkers, which is an animated yes. movie. Yeah. That is also about, she's told to never go into the forest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when she does, she discovers um, the opposite, I guess. In of terms what of she's been told. Yeah. The people who in... are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Were, yeah. Well, the wolves, I guess. We're uh, not dangerous. So definitely. amazing. We watched Wolf Walkers with our kids and just, like the whole family just kind of wept. Like it was such a beautiful oh, wow. <laughs> family. We yes. studio that did uh, song of the sea and the book of Kells, I think Ooh, uh, I haven't seen of, that. It's, it's an Irish studio and it's, it's just fantastically beautiful films. The most unique animation style I've ever seen. Um, I have yet to see pushing daisies, but I've it's heard cool. that it is another weird entry in Lee Pace's, uh, IMD uh, page just he's such a diverse actor so I've, I've heard lots of good things yeah it's it's really great canceled before it's you know canceled too mm-hmm. soon mm-hmm. so I I am writing down movies that just themes you all are mentioning and I just I just love one of my great loves in life is movies so in an effort to stretch your knowledge or you're what you are aware of and maybe some of you've seen it there's a documentary called kumare from 2011 and it is a trip uh a man named vikram who grew up in i think new jersey or brooklyn or something is a of indian descent but he's american uh goes to india and sort of observes the swamis and the yogis and the spiritual teeth, the gurus. And it is something off about it for him. He, he sees hypocrisy. He sees inconsistency. And so he goes back to America and he presents himself as a guru. And he speaks with a fake Indian accent. He's mimicking his, his mom, who is Indian born, and he grows his hair long and his beard, and he uh, begins to attract followers. <laughs> okay. And you, you have a, a sort of a unknown narration where he's talking about the process, and he is, you know, he's wearing the orange robe, and he's got the staff, and he is saying nonsense, essentially, just just nice things, and and people are following him, and you start to watch these people evolve in really positive ways. They get more into yoga. They find levels of peace with broken relationships. A woman loses a significant amount of weight that she'd never been able to lose before. People start meditating. And throughout it, Vikram Kumare is beginning to freak out because his intentions were good. He was trying to poke fun at this idea of the guru and these people believe him and he doesn't know how, where to go hmm. from here. <laughs> yeah. And he, I feel like it's important to share the end, but I'm suddenly debating on whether I, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've teed it up really nicely. 
Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So there's a scene at the end of the movie that is, I think, one of the great scenes in documentary, you know, the world documentaries, which is where he unveils himself to these people. And he, nice. he does his best to soften it. Um, but it is it is ugly. It is a rupture for these people. And for himself, he's he's, you know, really regretting and worried about what this will do. And he says, the message I want to share with you ultimately is that the only guru you need is the one that is inside of you. Mm. And that's why I did this. And in a sense, all of the changes that you made, you made, you used me as a, a sort of a catalyst, but you did it. And what's really cool is some people walk out and are there's sort of an end, a title end credits where they tell you where people are. And one woman, a couple have never spoken to him again. One went on to get her yoga certification. One said, how can I help you in your next adventure, Vikram? Because you're a special person. Hmm. One is paying off her bills and still made it meditates every day. The woman who lost the weight has kept it off. 10 of the 14 people who followed him have stayed in contact with him and I guess wow. agreed with the accidental premise <laughs> of this thing, which is that you have so much power and magnificence within you. We all do. And you don't need a guru. I, here's how I look at it. If there are people listening who are still within a specific religion, it's important. I like to try to be respectful and say, um, you're doing a lot of it. That yes. your your beliefs yeah, are. I'm not sure. challenging your beliefs at all. I'm just saying that there is a credit and a pride that you deserve to feel, and that is something that I learned in my journey through and then out of evangelical Christianity. Was I was doing so much of that the whole time. I was waking up early to read a book to edify myself. I was forgiving people. I was going deep with people. I was, you know, doing all of these things and you get to go like, that's a, that's a good person. That's, you know, yeah. that's yeah. a good heart. Yeah. So Kumare, K-U-M-A-R-A. It is, it's a trip, man. That's so great. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I've just got one comment that I want yeah. to move yeah, us yeah. forward yeah. is that, you know, we, again, the apologetics, is always saying, you know, how could, how could Christianity have spread so far? And like these little examples of many religions that pop up, uh, and even in a, in a scenario where it was, uh, you know, <laughs> under false pretenses, as it were, like it just this is the human condition. We want to follow people. We want someone to say, "Here, I have the answers. Do what I say." <laughs> and like that's so common that it, you know, it's happened throughout all of history. So I just I think that that's a really interesting. And, uh, and just point. to add to that, David, some religions have a replicable, scalable quality to them. There, yeah. There's a there's a way that they grow, and there are other ways of thinking that just don't have that fire. And one of those I think of is the the UU, the United Unitarian mm -hmm. Universalist Church. It's just not the imperative. Yeah. To to grow and to scale and to convert. It's, it's meant to be a refuge to people who left that. Exactly. And yeah. so it's just fascinating, right? Because <laughs> then you have 
you know, Mormonism or Christianity or something where it's, it's, there's this imperative to go out and, and to grow it. So yeah, it's, uh, but yeah. Okay. Um, so my happy place is middle grade fiction, preferably with strong female lead character, not necessarily, but so there's so many great books. Middle grade fiction is like five stars, highly recommend adults, children there. It's just perfect. It's not vulgar and has all the gross things that adult stuff can have that isn't for children. And then it, but it's not, not that picture books are dumbed down. Cause that's not a true statement, but it's not like little kid kind of books. Mm-hmm. It middle grade fiction tackles really hard stuff. So um, for authenticity and secular grace, um, Harbor Me by Jacqueline Woodson. So it starts with these six kids who are thrown together in this room where once a week they will meet in at their school and there are no teachers and they just talk and they're able to have conversations that they can't talk to anybody else about. They can't necessarily talk to their family. They can't talk to friends because people will judge them, but they're thrown together for this. I can't remember if it's an experiment or a class or how they, how they did it, but um, they call it the art room, a room to talk. So they're in the art room and once a week they hang out. And it, at the beginning, um, these kids there, there's one kid whose family is like his dad may be deported soon. One kid who's dealing with like racism at school and racism, racial pro- profiling just in his neighborhood. Um, there, there's just so much. Oh, one little girl that's right. Her father is um, incarcerated. She doesn't get to see him. So there's just all these different kids who normally would not have hung out, would not have been friends. And they build this relationship. This room becomes like a harbor for them. Yeah. One, they, they become a harbor for one another. And, um, oh, it's, it's one of those that's just, good. it's a tearjerker, sweet, wonderful story. But also, like I said, it just tackles really hard things that these kids are dealing with that it's fiction, but are very real experiences that kids are having. And, um, and the way they come alongside one another, the relationships that are built and, one of the towards the end, um, um, the the main the main character who's telling the story, um, she says, back then we still all believe she's talking about when they were kids, when they were young, when they were kids. You know, these they're in middle school, but when when they were young, she says, back then we still all believed in happy endings. None of us knew yet how many endings and beginnings one story could have. Mm. So, like these kids have gone a year together. There has been, you know family in prison and all these, these crazy things happen. And, um, I can't remember, but I know the, um, immigration services come at one time. I can't remember if the dad is deported or not, but like just, they didn't realize they could be for one another, like a savior, a friend, a a champion, all these different things that, um, they didn't need, they didn't need grownups for, and then they didn't need like supernatural help for, they were able to be it for one another. And it really is, it's a very short book. It's not very long, but it's, it's incredibly, it's one of the most moving middle grade fictions that I've ever read. And it's, um, yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. And thinking about like me personally, I did not have that when I was that age, like middle school, like, I don't know if you guys who have kids have watched Turning Red. Mm-hmm. But like yeah. in Turning Red, um, she's like all freaking out because she turns into the red panda and her friends are like, but we love you. And they just like run and hug her. And I just, again, because I cry in movies, I just burst <laughs> into tears yeah. when we watched that. It just like triggered all this stuff. I just burst into tears. 
because I was like, I did not have that. People were so, Daniel, you talked about being bullied. That was me. And judgmental. Yes. And cruel. Like kids were so cruel to me. I had a horrible middle grade experience. And so just seeing the kids and harbor me and the way they come around each other, it's, it's incredibly moving and just wonderful. And, um, and like the things I didn't have, I didn't have the parents to go to cause they didn't take the, the bullying seriously. Kids are kids. They'll do whatever, you know, girls are mean, mean girls, you know, all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a fantastic book for any age and it's on audio, which anytime there's a great narrator mm, that can just make a book even, even better. So yeah, it's very good. Awesome. Yeah. The secular grace for kids, you know, like, the, like school is rough, you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, for them to experience that, you know, understand their need for community with one another mm-hmm. and to protect one another. That that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are rapidly running out of time. I have a hard stop in 20 minutes. Uh, I want to do a quick speed round. So literally one minute, 60 seconds. Uh, I, I'm sorry we can't do it justice, um, but we're going to do our last picks in, uh, in a speed round, and we're starting uh, with Arlene. All right. The Wizard of Oz. Nice. Like, yes. <laughs> like, they're literally like, let's go see some supernatural guy. He will give us all the things we need. Just kidding. This guy's a complete fraud. <laughs> Turns out it's we had it the whole time and we could totally do it. And like I was like, wow, this is exactly this is deconversion and secular grace. Yeah. They're like, we will make sure you make it to Oz, whether or not, you know, I get a heart or whether or not I get a brain. And I was like, Yes, I love it. There you go. Wizard of Oz. I love it too. And the That's book awesome. is fabulous. Yeah. Middle grade fiction. <laughs> Completely agree, Arlene. That's a great pick. I, I've loved the story for a long time, and I think it completely fits with the theme. All right, Colin, you're up. Okay, I'm going to do uh, two really fast, perfect deconversion stories. Oblivion, starring Tom Cruise, and Equilibrium, starring Christian Bale. And I will not spoil these. I'll say that Oblivion is a story about uh, the sort of post-apocalypse world where Tom Cruise is told not to love what's left of the world, but he feels this connection to it. And that takes him somewhere. There's a great quote up front where he looks at his partner and he says, the questions I ask, she doesn't. The things I wonder Mm. about, you won't. Mm. I think that's an incredible parallel for relationships where one goes a different direction. Equilibrium, really quickly, is about a, a also a future world where people cannot feel human emotion. They've decided that all danger, war, violence comes from emotion. So they take a tablet every day that cuts off all emotion. He's like the lead enforcer uh, of this. And then he stops taking his dose. Yeah. And you watch this guy have all of these firsts that I think people who have left an orthodoxy discover, listening to music, physical touch, reading literature, looking at a sunrise. And it's like, he's a baby. Like he's blown away by these things. It's very uh, moving for a movie that has a lot of gunfights in it. (laughs) And um, that really spoke to me, right? Just being allowed to expand and experience more. Both of those are awesome. Those are fantastic. Yeah. 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 The sense of one, I'm sorry. Uh, The sense of wonder, um, being allowed to delight in stuff, David, you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. or Daniel, David would talk about how cynic, cynicism is sort of the, 
the default these days being jaded means being realistic and mm-hmm. seeing people delight in things is just wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Arlene, you had something? Yeah. I just wanted to say like any dystopian fiction, like is deconversion, like the Truman show, the giver quartet, all of those are like, there's this one person who realizes mm, something's not right. And then <laughs> yeah. there it goes. Yeah. 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 Right. The matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. The Matrix and Equilibrium taught us that you cannot deconvert without engaging in a lot of martial arts battles. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Right, we know now. And I miss that personally. You know, I, never got to, I never got to kick down a door and uh, do a flip. So, yeah. A lot of us make up for that by just getting into fights on Facebook. You know, oh, no. <laughs> Daniel, you're up for speed round. Speed round. All right. I am going to start a stopwatch. Uh this is going to be super dorky, but I, I can't, I can't not go there. Uh, somebody feed Phil. It, it's, it's a, it's what a travel a show. show. It's a food show. I know Colin, you're absolutely, it is, it is a good show. My wife grabbed me and said like, we got to watch this show. And I said, I don't love, 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 love reality television. I don't love food shows because all these snooty, like except, accepting Anthony Bourdain, you know, uh, it's all these snooty people doing snooty things. And I just couldn't be bothered. And this is the opposite of that. It is a, uh, it, it is the, the lead writer. And I think the creator of everybody loves Raymond. So he's a comedy writer and he loves food, but he loves people. And he goes to all these places and he meets like fascinating people. He does like uh, food trucks uh, in, in Bangkok. And he does, you know, these little stalls in, uh, in Israel that have been there for like a thousand years. And he does all kinds of things in, in uh, cities all around the world and just loves every person he meets mm, yeah. completely authentically. Um, Rosenthal is, uh, is Jewish. Uh, he's a secular Jew and he, is just here for everybody's everything. Like he's going to Buddhist temples. He's going into churches. He's going into synagogues. He's going into restaurants, most importantly, but also he goes to people's homes. Like he, he meets chefs at restaurants and they invite him home for a home cooked meal. And he's just in there with their kids and their families. And just the explosion of delight that he brings with him everywhere is just the, that's the kind of humanity that I want to belong mm. to. And I, I see everything he does as just being this, uh, just absolutely uh, no holds barred joy in every kind of human interaction he could possibly have. And, uh, and a lot of people love it. It's got, I think six seasons now, I think season seven is on the way. Uh, it's, it's really, really delightful. Most people who are like food critics hate the show because they say things like, he doesn't criticize anybody. He just has <laughs> yes. But he exactly. loves people yeah. and it's amazing. Mm. And Ooh, also I, the, the recognition that people are people and even mm-hmm. dramatically different cultural experiences. We're just human beings mm-hmm. and like we connect with each other and even just laughter and, uh, yep. you know, and the hu- human touch is a connection with one another and, and that binds us together regardless of the, mm-hmm. of where we came from. So mm-hmm. Daniel, I think of how, um, Phil, when he takes a bite, he smiles with his entire body, like, <laughs> he's like, mm, you know, like he's, yeah. he's like, Whoa. And, and what you find is these like Thai grandmas are like just feeding him food. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's just so, yeah. it's so fun yeah. to. Yeah. It's, he's the ultimate, you know, guest. 
Yeah, so it, I just don't get how he's so skinny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like he weighs 100 pounds soaking wet, and he's like six feet tall. <laughs> Last comment really quick. So you know, the importance of you know breaking bread with one another, to use a Christian term, like I, I, I think there's value in doing communal meals to, with one another intentionally, uh, and that, that that is such a meaningful thing as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, Mike, do you have anything? Yeah, I was thinking of something. Okay. Um, you know, I'm a music lover, and I don't know how this ties into what we're talking about, but I thought it was a sweet movie um, a few years ago, a movie called Yesterday. Uh, got me yes. Beatles fans. So this yes, this guy is like a singer-songwriter. He's kind of washed up. He can't really make it. His songs are not very good. Some kind of event happens, a blackout. He has an accident. He wakes up. In the and there's no existence of the Beatles at all. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows of them. They, it's like they've never it existed. But he's a big fan, so he knows all their songs and stuff. He starts playing "Yesterday" to his friends, and they're just mesmerized by it. You know the words and the poetry, and he's like, "Y'all know this song, you know." And and before he and then soon he realizes it. Nobody knows about the Beatles. So he starts playing their songs more and it's like almost overnight he becomes a the world's biggest music sensation, you know, playing Beatles stuff. <laughs> and um that's awesome. Anyway, kind of towards the end, I think there's a few people that that know about it though. It's not just him. So they realize that that the Beatles, you know, who the Beatles were at one time. And anyway, they he he's feeling awful about it. And they just tell him, well, you know what, you know, it's okay. Keep singing these songs, you know, because it's really, you know, it's speaking to people. And mm-hmm. I just, I just thought that was, might be a good one to bring up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And music is so deep. We've talked about that a lot too, that, yeah. that, you know, that both manipulatively with worship, but also just yeah. <laughs> inspirationally, I've been listening to a lot of more secular gospel music that uh, uh, like Lawrence comes to mind. They've got a song called uh, don't lose sight that just Hmm. like, it just inspires me every time I hear this song. So yeah, music is deep. Jimmy. Um, I'll go with Jaber Crow uh, by Wendell Berry. I may have mentioned that in my episode, but um, it's, it's a book about people really people in nature, uh, in community, warts and all normal people, messed up people, all kinds of things. And I've been through it twice. It's the kind of book you finish and then you just sort of stare at the wall for a while. And then <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Highly recommend it. Yeah, it's it's on my t- TBR list. It's <laughs> It's been there for a long time, though. I've, I keep haven't so now I will definitely read it. Uh for my last one, and because we have we're running out of time, I'm really just gonna do this as a recommendation rather and I'm gonna try not to spoil too much. Uh but it is Severance on Apple Plus. Um it is an amazing story, incredibly well written, incredibly well well executed. Uh the premise, and I'm not giving away anything here, is that the technology to uh Splits your consciousness so that the a, a version of yourself, uh, independent version of yourself, goes to work every day, 
and uh, the remaining part of yourself uh, experiences the rest of life without having to go to work. Uh, this is deep philosophically about identity and consciousness and asks some incredibly deep questions. But beyond that, within the realm of work is uh, it, it and, and I'll just say the obvious also, it is also a deep criticism of capitalism and, and office culture. Uh, but beyond that is there's a, a religious aspect, very hinting of Mormonism and, uh, and the uh, Puritan work ethic. Uh, and uh, that is interwoven throughout the whole thing. And as you can guess, there is, uh, the, the, uh, the work versions of themselves, um, begin to you know want to discover more about the real world and mm -hmm. and then without giving away too much you know the experience of being a fish out of water uh that kind of thing so highly recommended i would love to do an entire episode with uh some or all of you uh on on severance uh it is absolutely amazing so Ooh. uh with that i just want to say thank you to this group of people the uh, podcast wouldn't be what it is without each and every one of you. You've done incredible work, uh, either behind the scenes or in front of the mic. Uh, you've supported me, my mental health, uh, and my, uh, um, vision for the podcast. I just, I cannot say enough how grateful I am for all of you guys. Uh, this is four whole years. It's just, it's amazing, uh, uh that we are here. Yeah. Yes, it's exciting. Yay. Glad to be part of it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Love to see how it's become this bigger thing and, and just affected yes. so many people and brought people together. And yeah, thank you, David, for yes. taking that little seed of an idea and just persisting. Yeah. And watching it grow. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Thank you, David. Yep. Happy uh, four. Did you say four? Yeah. Four. Happy four, four years. years. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Final thoughts on the episode. It is hard for me to overstate how important the people you just listened to are to the podcast. I know I'm repeating myself so much, but Arlene has done almost everything, including the community management and co-hosting, copy editing, but she is the engine that drives the podcast. She helps with a lot of coordination in the background. The podcast would not be where it is at today without Arlene. Same goes for Mike T. The amount of editing time that Mike spends is amazing. And you guys get a weekly podcast instead of a monthly one because I couldn't do that at all. There's no way. As I said, Jimmy and Colin have been really helpful for my mental health, for supporting me, for giving me ideas, for letting me bounce ideas off of them. Uh, and actually providing a slightly critical view to, to tell me when I was wrong at times. And that is incredibly valuable and I really appreciate it. And Daniel for sure is going to be that type of person. Uh, Daniel and I have not spent quite as much time with each other, but we already can tell that there's a deep connection there. And I want to see what more Daniel can do within this community with the podcast and as a support for me as well. So thank you so very, very much to all of you for supporting the podcast and what we are trying to do here to spread secular grace, to spread humanism, to provide a safe place to land for people in the middle of doubts, questioning, deconstruction, and deconversion. And lastly, I want to thank you, the listener. Obviously, none of this happens if you aren't there. 
I've tried very hard not to focus on numbers. I've said a number of times that we could double, quadruple the numbers if I were more antagonistic, more debate-oriented, and just bash Christians. That's pretty easy to do. But having a message of secular grace and caring about human beings is not terribly popular. As we talked about in the episode, being sincere is not going to go viral. I wanted to do that anyway. The mission of the podcast was to allow people to understand they can accept their own humanity and the humanity of others. And coming out of religion of various kinds, particularly very traditional, particularly very high control, that is quite a challenge. That's difficult. And it is really hard to do that alone. Hopefully you haven't felt alone as you've listened along with other people's stories. Hopefully you've heard your story as someone else told their story. And that magic, that connection is what will help us. That's what this podcast is all about. I want to put out one more time that participation in the community and, and the podcast is not about status. <laughs> Arlene, Mike, Jimmy, Colin, Daniel, there's nothing special about them. They just were willing to do work. They were willing to participate. So if there's any area of expertise that you have, or even just something you're interested in doing, please let us know. Reach out to Arlene, reach out to me and let us know. As I've said, social media, graphic design, even audio work, website design, marketing, there's just a thousand different ways that you could participate in the podcast. Please reach out to us if you're interested in doing that. And thank you so much for being a listener. That means a lot. Next week, Arlene is talking to David Hayward, the Naked Pastor. That's going to be an amazing conversation. In early April, I'll be talking to Holly Laurent from the Mega Podcast. I'm really excited about that. And many, many community members in between. Until then, my name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. Join me and be graceful human beings. The beat is called Waves by Makai Beats. If you want to get in touch with me to be a guest on the show, email me at gracefulatheist at gmail.com. For blog posts, quotes, recommendations, and full episode transcripts, head over to gracefulatheist.com. This is the Graceful Atheist Podcast, a part of the Atheist United Studios Podcast Network. <laughs>